I think that growing a big base is completely based on value. I think the only way you can get really, really big is value. It took me 10 years to get 1.7, 1.8 on Twitter and it's taken me three years to get to 5.2 on Instagram because I'm in my prime and what I understand right now, what value is on that channel. Watching all my platforms go through different cadences, you know, you've gotta bring value. I believe value to humans comes in two basic forms, entertainment or education. For example, Instagram. Entertainment comes in the form of being very attractive. Entertainment comes in the form of being funny. Entertainment comes in a lot of different forms. Education comes in a lot of forms. When I look at everybody who's been successful in building organic uh, communities, they've won on education or entertainment. Then I watch 95% create selfish creative. Right, 95% produces creative that's not bringing entertainment or education to the end consumer. It's content that you made in your self-interest. It was really fun to be in Vegas for uh, for this keynote I gave to the franchisee industry and got really into you know you know it's really funny I'm sure you're like on the treadmill right now or walking the dog you know you know I don't get to go into new spaces a lot which is why Q and A is amazing and this is Q and A with some 50, 50 100 people a lot of like lawyers service providers B two B franchise stuff really excited that this is going to help a lot of you today uh, because I think we've hit new terrain and I think the organic landscape of LinkedIn reminds me of Instagram and Facebook over the last half decade so please enjoy and uh, hit me up on Twitter. Twitter and let me know what you thought of it. How can we apply the dollar eighty strategy toward LinkedIn? So, uh, what he's referring to is I put out something uh, a couple months ago, maybe half a year ago, called the dollar eighty strategy. My point was everybody was trying to grow on Instagram. It's such a big thing for everybody, um, and I said, look. There's, you know, it's kind of like getting into shape. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And I said the right way to do it instead of like follow and unfollow people or what LinkedIn is a disaster. Everybody just spams each other in the inbox, right? You guys know. And what's really crazy is watching people that hate getting it but then they do it, right? Like the, the lack of like the hypocrisy and like tone deafness. So I created something called the dollar eighty strategy which is really what I would do if I didn't have the size of the audience that I have now and it's actually what I did do on Twitter in 2007. My point was, and by the way, anybody who has a physical location, you can, like, you can search on Instagram by interests, hashtags, right? You can search by neighborhood. Like you can search by every photo in Milburn, New Jersey. This is what Wine Library does. And I said, look at the photo and then leave a comment that means something. Like just, a, you know, for our liquor store, like people are like mowing the lawn. We're like, we'll literally be like, great lawn. Do you want a beer after this? Like we'll make a joke or, you know, and, and do that. And I call that leaving your two cents. And then I said, do that 90 times a day. And that's your $1.80 strategy. The way you can do that on LinkedIn, the great thing that's happened on LinkedIn now is it's become a content platform. As you guys know, it's not just a utility anymore to get a job. There's a ton of content in there. Search things that matter to your world. Read the article then leave the best comment in the comment section and use all the attention of that person's audience by leaving a meaningful thought in the comment. Guys, it's so crazy how very basic my advice is. It's that 
it's, it's not easy to implement in the same way that like staying in good shape is not easy. It's easier to not eat well and not work out. It's easier. But um, that's how I would do it. You know, there's two ways to really attack content. Produce it or engage with it. But most people when they engage with it are like me, me, me. You know, like I just, you, you see it all, right? Like people leave a comment like, yeah, if you agree with him, sign up for my, nobody gives a shit about that. It's like all the guys tonight in Vegas that try to get people to go to their room on the first word. It's not gonna work. It is not gonna work. You're not that handsome. Back to the LinkedIn question. If you want a job, jumping into people's content on LinkedIn and actually leaving a thoughtful answer leads to incredible job opportunities. If you wanna build, if you're an entrepreneur, the sooner you can start building leverage for yourself through content or through the brand you're creating, the better. But it's a, it's a, it's a mindset conversation. Some sort of rep. Like the, the one thing I can promise is not gonna do anything for anybody here is playing it out in your head and doing nothing. That is, non-action is the devastating thing. Which is what led me, you know it's funny, I have fought for a big part of my career, I don't want to be a motivational, like I just saw a clip that I was on the news, some kid listened to my idea of putting out a rap song every day of the year, uh, and like when, you know, just a local newscast somewhere, Phoenix I think actually, and they're like, he saw a video with Nipsey Hussle, the rapper, and motivational speaker Gary Vaynerchuk, and I really was like, uh, I don't want to be a, like, you know, but what's happened in the last three years is as I played the game out of why are you not posting, Raphael? Like why are you not posting? It start, I started realizing more and more every day, I'm like fuck, this is, a, this is a mindset game. You're insecure. You hate that somebody said you're ugly or fat or stupid and you're literally not trying to live the life that would make you happy based on somebody's anonymous comment or somebody you went to high school with 33 years ago saying you're stupid. Like, and, I, and it really kind of got me into like the things of like, why am I not that way? Oh, my mom gave me a lot of self-esteem, but she didn't instill delusion. There were ramifications, you know, it got me into a whole other place, but I still shy away from it, but that is the answer. So, like I said up there, I, I think Facebook ads are the best product in the world right now, except you have to make content for the ad target and you need to make the target not vanilla. Right, so like, you know, if I target 16, let's use Facebook, if I target 31 to 39 year old Toronto Maple Leaf fans who also have $100,000 income levels and I'm trying to sell them furniture, I need to take into account that I'm targeting Maple Leaf fans that are 31 to 39. I do a lot of, I do a lot of 52 to 59 year old, like, like small little pocket, then reference the college they went to and then reference a good season for that college when they were there those four years. We have the data. People don't make enough content. I promise you if I looked at why it didn't work, it was because the targeting was too broad and the creative was one, too, one, too one-dimensional. There's, you know, it's funny, sometimes when people uh, in a similar situation like this in Chicago a couple months ago, somebody who was at the conference saw me at the airport. They came up, they're like, hey, I was just at the conference, you were out. It was really good. And in that time, five different people came up to me to ask for a selfie. And after the fifth one, I looked at him and I said, everything I just told you for two hours is just transpired. Because an 80-year-old African-American woman came up to me 
a 22-year-old white girl, a 16-year-old Latino guy, a 50, like all size and shapes. Five people, five totally different demos, ages, and backgrounds. And I said to him, I said, you just saw it play out. I have a very diverse fan base because I contextualize my content in Instagram different than what I do on YouTube, different than what I, the ads I run on Facebook. It's the amount, it's the volume of content that is now the battleground and that's where everybody's falling because they're running one piece of content. Everyone's using television mentality on a digital landscape. Some of the content you do, highly produced content, some of it is, where's that combination against the brand? Humility. Humility is the breakthrough in all of this. Quality content is on the consumer side, not on the executive side. The end. Having the humility to produce content at scale, and as to your point, sometimes Caleb and DRock and these guys get into their post-production game and they make some rad shit. Other times, I mean, I, I took a snap today on the flight out here with no light, you can't even see my face. Like, literally, like, I might as well just taking a picture of something black, you know? You'd rather get it out than get it great. You know why? Because I don't think great is based on production quality. I think great is based on the audience I'm trying to reach in what way. A lot of times, rugged and raw is great to that audience. Other times, production is. I always tell people, I would watch seven hours of Star Wars 10 if it came out in two years and like, seven hours, I would. I'm interested in it. I would sit in it and be like special effects and then there's six second vines that I used to stop after two seconds. Quality is not length, quality is not production. Quality is owned by the end consumer. The humility for an organization to produce content in all different versions is where things break down because inevitably there's an executive in an ivory tower who's casting judgment with no context on a piece of content that slows down the whole machine. Think about the leverage of influencers to help grow your brand. I'm, I'm extremely bullish on them. Now, much like anything I believe in, you can spend a million dollars on influencers and get nothing in return because you gave it to a bunch of people who have fake audiences who tricked you. I trade on inefficient marketplaces. So the reason I don't like television and print and they have a floor, right? Like you wanna buy from me? It's $8,000 a full page. Facebook and Google is a marketplace. It's unemotional. There's no, there's, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't set a floor. If you wanna buy, 22 to 28 year olds that live in Cincinnati that are into Barry's boot camp and you think that will work for you, you can do that. You can run that ad. And you're competing with other things. I might be trying to get in that same person's feed for empathy, right? It's only one feed, but if you target carefully and you make awesome content and people react to it, Facebook, guys, this is why people are just very under, I made that little razz about Cambridge Analytica. Facebook's entire business, that includes Instagram, is to keep you on the platform. Their entire business is based on you staying, which means you'll see less ads that suck because as soon as somebody runs an ad that should hit you know, one of you, but people that look like you saw it, the first thousand, and they didn't respond to it, you won't see it. That's not what the newspaper, radio, and television does. They just take your fucking money. So I, I think the most inefficient marketplace at scale that matters to business today is influencer marketing. Humans don't know how to price themselves. The problem is, Amanda, it goes both ways. So my big thing is almost everybody's an influencer now. 
Use that as your advantage. I would spend more time trying to identify more and then giving them all the opportunity to earn it and prove it versus, but most influencers are smart. Or that's not true. A lot of influencers are smart and they'll say, well fuck you Amanda, I'm not paying you for every referral. Like I'm not gonna post this if I'm only getting a referral. Your job is to say, I'm only gonna give you money if I convert. Their job is to say, go fuck yourself, I'm a brand, the second I post it, you're extracting value for me. And in that dance is everything. Um, start franchising, um, we're trying to scale across the country, we have 26 locations, a million for investment, um, you can leverage it so you need about 300 out of pocket, yep. and SBA will finance the rest. So just looking for creative ways to get the message out. I mean the returns are phenomenal, um, each unit's a million and a half top line, 30% to the top market. Tomorrow you need to hire two low cost individuals, 12 to 15 bucks an hour, whatever Jersey's doing these days, and the number one place I would create com- like content is Instagram because the sheer attention to the pet culture on Instagram is uncomfortable. So I w- I'll explain, I'll explain. I think that you should go, so a kid that used to work with me, really smart kid who came to me, I hired the kid as somebody to make my Instagram strategies better. His name's Dunk, at Dunk. Uh, he's working with Dennis Rodman right now. Dennis Rodman right now on Instagram is leaving hundreds of comments on people's posts, other famous basketball players, but he's not saying anything. The comment is a blank comment and it's catching all this attention. I think you should take a nuance of that. I literally think that your account, your company's account, should leave hundreds of comments a day on the most trending pet places and you should just comment about the content. I think you should build awareness within the community and then again, no different than the young lady in the purple that I just gave her an answer. I, I think you need to run LinkedIn ads. You, I like the way you communicated to me. You came with the business proposition. I think that you can run content that says, like, I th- one of my favorite reasons to come here, guys, is because I think franchisees aren't purebred entrepreneurs. I think they have entrepreneurial tendencies. Right? So. I think that's a super interesting insight that I think content can really help you. Like you could literally run articles that say six reasons why canine, what is it? What? Six reasons why canine resorts are perfect for entrepreneurs with training wheels. You write that article. You tell them about the 300 and the like, like, and then you write the same article for thinking about entrepreneurship as an executive but aren't ready to jump. Here's a couple of ideas and then you run them against people in Westfield with $200,000 income level, right? Knowing consumer habits and what they're going, how can we consciously keep selling brick and more franchises when we know the consumer behavior <coughs> is going there? What's the product? Meal plans, meal prep. Well, I think you need to protect both of your channels, right? I think, how many states are you in with retail? with franchises. So I think you quarantine those and this is what I would do in the short term. I would continue to grow with that model there, right? And run ads and build a brand there and acquire franchisees and, and help that, like build up the brand. And then the other 30 or so states, I would run a direct to consumer model. That, that's the beauty of it. Right? I mean, I don't think, I don't think brick and mortar dies I think it just has to be massively more efficient and has to be flexible and prepared, right?
So I think if, if I had your model, you have two very different businesses and I wouldn't bleed any more states. I think state is an easy way to control. Like if you're, you know, franchisees may be like, what the fuck, you're competing with me. I think you can quarantine by states that you've been committed to with franchisees and go harder into that because I don't think it goes away in the next two decades and by then you can figure out other shit. And then in the other places, you can run the direct-to-consumer model. And if, God willing, the direct-to-consumer model blows it out of the fucking park and you're like, fuck this, we need to do this nationally, you can buy out your, like, if it's doing so great, you'll have leverage of the economics to do whatever you have to do with the franchisees. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and we've um, gone on to Amazon also, so we're trying to... That's a little bit of a problem. Like, that's right. If you're building a direct to consumer product, the problem is you're now directly competing with your franchisees. You're creating channel conflict. Yeah, I feel that the millennial generation, you know, I was just talking to somebody on social media about things that create an experience. We've had that experience, but I don't think that the generation now wants an experience. They Here's what I would say I, I would say this we need to do a lot less lumping people into age we need to lump them into the way they act. There's plenty of 52 year olds that just care about price. They go to Walmart every day. Like price, experience, like it's a, it's a, it's, there's so many nuances to it. So what I will say this is, even if you're 97, time is always interesting. So this is not just millennials, this is people that understand that if they can save 17 minutes, that that's valuable. Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.